0: Paul holds up Timothy and Epaphroditus as examples of dependable servants of God. Timothy is an example for us of what it means to be a Christian of great worth. Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus Christ to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. And of Epaphroditus Paul says, I have thought it necessary to send you, Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me.
1: Well, good morning, everybody. Good to have you here today. And if my voice sounds a little different than usual, it's because I've got a cold and it's not COVID. I know I've tested twice, so everybody's cool. Don't worry. Don't back off. Good to have you here this morning. Hey, what do you want people to say about you? when you're dead. What do you want people to say at your funeral? I've, I've been in the ministry almost 40 years now, and I've been to many, many, many funerals and had to perform many, and it's uh, amazing how many, how many funerals are, are difficult to do just because there's not a lot to be said. A person, for the most part, may have lived their whole life for themselves, pursuing their own wishes, their own desires, their own dreams. But not for those who are true followers of Christ. What do you want people to say about you at your funeral? Here's what one hypochondriac put on his gravestone: "I told you I was sick." I thought that was absolutely hilarious, and, and so did the first service. And uh, and then there, as I was looking for these uh, these funny gravestones, and these it's all real stuff, I came across this one. And it's Kay's fudge, she's put that on her gravestone, and uh, I guess she thought that's all she had to leave to the world. It's pretty pathetic if the only thing you've got to leave behind is a recipe to make fudge. Um, I wonder, what are people gonna say about you when you're gone? Or what are you you leaving behind? What kind of a legacy are you leaving behind? remember my uncle, when asked what he wants the minister to say at his funeral, he said he wants the minister to say, look, he's moving. As, you, as we get older, and I'm getting older, folks, 60 this week, can't believe it, uh, the things that go through your mind, what do you want people to say about you? What do people think about you? Well, most people have one desire in their life, and that is to be rich and to, and to have money. And uh, some people want to be famous, some people want both. Oftentimes, they go hand in hand. But for myself, from my very earliest years, I became a Christian as a young boy, and all I really wanted to achieve or to have in my life was a life that counts for Christ. That, that truly is all that I have ever wanted. I wanted to be one of those people that had a, a, a Christian life of proven worth. And I, I read all kinds of Christian biographies of various godly men and women if you come to my home, there's a whole shelf load of, of biographies of godly Christian people, William Wilberforce and uh, Hudson Taylor and uh, uh, men like Willie, uh, Mark, and, Mark Buntain and Hulda Buntain, Florence Nightingale, George Mueller, and William Carey, St. Augustine, Athanasius, Justin Martyr, so many godly, godly men that... God used through the centuries, and women that God used greatly through the centuries. People who literally gave their life to serve God. Well, folks, if you're a Christian today, if you're a follower of Christ, if you put your faith in Jesus, that's what you need to do. That's who you need to be. You need to be somebody who's not following your will, or your purpose, or your dreams, or your vision, even though North American Christianity says that you can have all your dreams come true, and you can have whatever you want, and, and and God is here to help you fulfill your dreams, I want you to know that that notion, that idea is utterly absent from the New Testament. There's nothing in the New Testament that says such a thing. The only thing that we do know, and this goes from Genesis to Revelation, is that is that our our one goal should be to do the will of God. That's it. And if you're a follower of Christ today, then that is your goal in life, to do the will of God. Not your will, but God's will. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So I want to share with you today the inspirational uh, stories of two men, two exceptional young men, and I thought, man, this this could be put on their gravestones. Paul says this about Timothy, but you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. And then of Epaphroditus, he says, so receive him, he's speaking to the Philippians, he says, so receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he uh, nearly died for the work of Christ. And so here's what I want you to recognize before we go any further, because I think for some of us, we hear words like gospel and work of Christ, and it's, it's white noise. I want you to stop and think for a moment. What does it mean? What is the gospel? Well, one, one uh, theologian said the gospel could be summed up in a word, Jesus. That's good. That's the gospel. It's all about Christ. But let's expand it a little bit. What has Jesus Christ done for you and for me." Well, Christ has come to this world to reconcile us to God. Remember, Adam and Eve were, were uh, it, at war with God. They chose to do their will rather than God's will, and they were evicted from the Garden of Eden, and, and they were separated from God. Well, Jesus Christ came and his job was to reconcile us to God. So what he did is he, he paid the penalty for our sin. Remember, Adam and Eve were told that in the day that you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is the day you're gonna die. And that's what happened. They died, and they were separated from God. Well, Jesus comes now to restore that relationship. Very important that you understand this. The gospel of Jesus Christ is all about, about what Christ has done for us on the cross. He has died for us. He's died in our place in order to make us right with God. We call that the doctrine of justification. Jesus makes us right with God as though we've never sinned. And then what Jesus does through his spirit, remember he promised he'd send us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and he begins this work of sanctification, of sanctifying. It's a doctrine of sanctification, making us like Jesus. That's the gospel. That is the work of Christ. Now, any church that does not preach this is not preaching the gospel. And this is what Paul said to the Galatians. If anybody comes to you preaching another gospel or preaching anything that is not the true gospel, let that person be cursed. Very strong words, very, very strong words. And yet this is exactly what we are seeing now in North America and around the world and in Africa. One of the things that that I've been asked to do by Delson is that I would come and train pastors in Burundi this summer. What do they need to be taught? They need to be taught the gospel. They need to be taught that when you put your faith in Christ, it's not so that you can get rich. Now, it's hard to believe that there's people that actually believe that that's what being a Christian is all about. But that that has been mainstream Christianity in North America for decades now. I remember when I graduated from Bible college into the ministry, that was a very common theme. So what we need to do is we need to understand the gospel. Now, that's the message of the gospel, but let's talk about it practically. What is the gospel practically speaking? Practically speaking, the gospel when it has its, has its and is doing its work in us, is that we now are dead to self. We're dead to self. We deny ourselves. We take up our cross and follow Jesus. We put to death the deeds of the flesh. That is, we put to, we put to death our own wants and our own wishes, our own will, and we say, God, not my will, but thine be done. That's what Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane. Do you remember that? Just before he went to the cross. He didn't want to go to the cross. Nobody wants to, go to, wants to go and die. But he understood what it meant to serve God. Now, that's the critical word this morning, serve. Because that's what Timothy is. He's a servant, and that's what Epaphroditus is. He is a servant. And if you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ today, then you too are a servant a servant of whom? Of Jesus Christ. But I'm going to tell you something. The word that we find in in the Scripture, uh, that word servant, it, almost always it is, the actual word in Greek is slave. You and I are slaves of, of God. That is, that we do only what the Master calls us to do. So how many of us today Are servants, are slaves of God. If you're a Christian today, that's who you are and that's how you live. You say, God, not my will be done. I I want my will to be your will. Very important to understand this. This is what we call gospel preaching, and this is what we call gospel living. So, are you a true follower of Jesus Christ? What will people say about you when you breathe your last breath? What will people say? about Alan Duncalf at his funeral service. Aside from saying, look, he's moving, uh, <laughs> I would like people to say he was a true servant, a real servant. So Gloria is here, take notes, dear, that's what I want said at my funeral. Alan was a true servant. What do you want people to say about you? You know that your life is a success if people know you and recognize you as a true servant. So that's what I wanna talk about today. What does it mean to follow Christ? Well, I I'm wanna I'm gonna just tell you first about Timothy and then a little bit about Epaphroditus. Paul met Timothy on his second missionary journey, remember? He headed out and uh, went through Asia Minor, and it was there that he met young Timothy, and Paul was obviously very impressed with this young man, and so... Uh, I, he must have talked to Timothy's parents uh, and and said, Timothy, you need to come with me and Timothy says, "Yes, I want to do this. Remember Timothy's a, a follower of Christ he's been converted, and he loves the idea of serving God this is what by the way, this is what I find with with many young people who are followers of Christ. they want to serve they want to they'll do anything they'll go anywhere no matter how painful, no how, how difficult they want to show up and they want to do that thing That's what Timothy did so it was Timothy, who went with Paul to to Philippi, and some of you will remember that I said that Philippi was the first city in Europe to receive the gospel. And can you remember who the first convert was? It was a woman. Her name was Lydia. She was the first one to receive the gospel. Now, Timothy is with Paul, helping Paul, and serving Paul, doing whatever he can, well, we're fast-forward now, and Paul is in, in uh, prison, and lo and behold, there's Timothy with him, helping him with whatever needs to be done. Timothy, no doubt, was, was, the, was the scribe, and Paul dictated to, to Timothy the letter he wanted to send to the Philippians. Paul, uh, when he found Timothy, he discovered that Timothy's mother was, was Jewish, and we read that, that Timothy's mother... And grandmother were faithful in teaching Timothy the Word of God. Now, those of you who are mothers and grandmothers, this is your responsibility. Teach your kids, your grandkids, the scriptures. Make sure that they know the Word of God. Because this is what Paul found in Timothy, and, and probably was one of the reasons why Paul took Timothy with him, because Timothy actually knew Scripture. He was useful to Paul. He knew the Word of God. But here's the other thing. Uh, Timothy, his father was Greek. And so, for that reason, was not circumcised. Now, here's here's how willing Timothy was to serve God and to do whatever it takes for the glory of God. Timothy allowed the Apostle Paul to circumcise him. Now, Paul tells us in the book of Galatians that nobody has to be circumcised in order to be a Christian. So why did he do it? Well, here's, here's why. And by the way, if you're a servant, this is the kind of attitude you have. Timothy and Paul are saying, we are willing to do whatever it takes to not be a stumbling block so that people will be open to hear the gospel message. And so Paul, understanding that Timothy could end up being an obstacle, a stumbling block to the Jewish listeners, he has Timothy circumcised so that they would be welcomed and so that they would be open to hear the gospel message. So this is just a snapshot of the kind of guy that Timothy is. And we're told that Timothy ended up becoming the the bishop, the first bishop of Ephesus. Now let me talk about Epaphroditus for a moment. Epaphroditus was the representative of the Christian community at Philippi. And Epaphroditus was sent out by uh, by the apostle Paul, uh, by, by the church in Philippi, to bring to Paul resources to help pay, pay the way, to provide him with writing materials, to provide clothing, to provide food, all that sort of thing. Remember, Philippi was so grateful to God for Paul and the gospel message that, they, that he had brought to them that they were willing to give whatever they could in order to help Paul, do his gospel preaching. Very, very interesting. Now, Paul calls him my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and Paul describes him as, as the authoritative delegate that has come from Philippi. He's a messenger of, of good tidings from Philippi, and he's also a minister there to meet Paul's needs. Paphroditus has got one thing on his mind, and that is to serve. He's doing for Paul what the Philippian church wanted to do, but were unable to do. And by the way, whenever we send out a missionary, uh, whenever we send out someone like like Dennis or Nick, who just got back from Burundi, we if we are part of this work of supporting the work in Burundi, we are actually partnering with these missionaries, partnering with me as a pastor, and getting the, the work done and doing the work of Christ. I don't know if you understand that or not. We are a partnership, and Paul points that out about Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus, he's a fellow worker, he's a fellow servant, he's a fellow soldier, he's there to serve to do whatever it takes. What else do we know about Epaphroditus? Well, as soon as he arrived in Rome, because that's where Paul is, and that's where he's writing this letter to the Philippians, he begins the work of Christ. So diligently did he labor that he lost his health, he was willing to do whatever it takes, even to the point of losing his health for the sake of Christ. In fact, Paul said he was ill, and he almost died. Anybody here almost died because they've been working so hard for Jesus? <coughs> Anybody else besides me? This is, this is how Epaphroditus operated. He's willing to do whatever it takes. And he. the good news is that he recovered, and now he becomes... The, the one who now is the courier who's now going to bring this letter written to the Philippians back to Philippi. It's beautiful. He comes to Paul with, with resources, with money, with, with, with provision, and now he's going back with a letter to the Philippians. It's said that Epaphroditus is said to be the first bishop of Philippi. Now, can I just stop here for a moment and just remind everybody of something? Timothy could care less what title you give him. He didn't, he didn't need that. He wasn't looking for that. He was a servant. And same with Epaphroditus. Call him a bishop, call him a pastor, or call him whatever you want. He could care less. He's got one thing in mind, and that is to honor God by obeying whatever Christ has called him to do. Now, this, this stands out as a great example to all of us. We who love title, we who love position, we who love to be recognized, we who like to stand out from the crowd, these men were, were, were complete and utter servants. Now, I want to remind you of what Paul says earlier in this letter. He says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven understanding, folks, that we are not citizens of this world. How many understand that today? And by the way, if you haven't underlined that in your Bible yet, this is one of those verses that you need to know. You must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel about Christ. This is how we live. This is who we are. Now, some of you will say, well, I don't know exactly what that means, Pastor. What is, uh, how does this work out? in daily living this is a little bit too abstract for me well then paul says okay i'll give you an example and then we read about this we talked about it last week in fact in and the week before in philippians chapter 2 paul says look at christ here's your example of one who humbled himself one who is god the king of the universe who takes upon himself the human form watch this the, the creator, Jesus Christ is a creator. Everybody understands that, right? That's what Paul called him. In the beginning was a word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and nothing that was made was made apart from Christ. So now the creator comes to this earth as a creature, as the created, but boggles the mind. He's willing to humble himself to that point. Now, folks, this is what Paul is saying to us. You and I are called to be this kind of a servant, to humble ourselves, to be willing to do whatever needs to be done. Now, I want you to see Timothy went along with Paul as a helper. You know, people don't, when I ask people to do things, lots of, oftentimes people say, well, I don't want to just help. I mean, I, I've got talent and skills. If you need me to sing on Sunday or preach the sermons, I'm willing to do that. But don't ask me to do anything menial. What does that mean? If you are a servant of Jesus Christ, if you are a servant of God, you will do whatever God asks you to do. Amen? There's four of us that agree on that one. You're willing to do whatever it takes. Amen. You're willing to help. And so Timothy, he's willing to, to, to clean up after Paul. He's willing to write his letters. He's, and he's also willing to preach. He's willing to be an evangelist. He's willing to do whatever the apostle Paul tells him to do. This is the attitude of a servant, willing to do whatever needs to be done. This is who we are. This is what we are as Christians. And so Paul points to Jesus Christ as the ultimate example of what it means to live a life worthy of the gospel. Now, what do we mean by that, worthy of the gospel? Well, it means that you and I are going to be a reflection of Jesus Christ. When people look at you, they should be seeing Jesus. They should be seeing the nature and the attitude of Christ. Remember I said to you a few minutes ago that the gospel includes this sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit? What do you think that means? It means that God, by his Spirit, the Holy Spirit, he's shaping you and forming you and making you into the image of Christ. That's the gospel. God is making you like Jesus. So when you live a life in a manner worthy of the gospel, you are actually living a life like Christ. You're having the attitude of Christ. And what what mattered most to Christ? Everybody remember? Well, Jesus says the reason the Son of Man came to this earth was to do what? To seek and to save what was lost. People are what mattered to Jesus. And if you are going to be like Jesus, it means you're going to serve people in the same manner that Jesus served. Jesus reminded his disciples, look, you guys, you self-centered guys, you're, you're constantly jockeying for position. You want to be number one. But Jesus said, the Son of Man did not come to be served. The Son of Man came to serve and to do what? To die, to lay down his life as a ransom for many. Folks, that's how we live. Now, Let's, let's just this is bring this home now. In your home as fathers, your job is, is to serve your children. Now, maybe the way you grew up was, was the reverse. The kid's job was to serve the father. No, your job is first to serve your children and to serve your wife. And ladies, your job is to serve your husband to serve your children. And children, your job is to serve your parents and each other. This is, this is Christianity at work. Now, look at If you if you remove Christianity from the equation, what happens now is that you have to resort to something else. You need to resort to to counseling. You've got to resort to psychology. You've got to resort resort to to rules in the house. But if the rule in your house is to love and respect each other and to serve one another, boom, your problems are gone. It's, It's that simple and it's that complicated. That is our job. You show me a couple that loves each other, I'm going to show you a couple that is, is behaving as Christ would behave. You show me a, a couple where there's fighting and scrapping, I'm going to show you two very self-centered people. Why? Because it's all about my will versus your will. Hey, when there's two wills in a room, got, we call it politics, we call it fighting, there's all kinds of names for it, but you're not going to get along. But if the husband and the wife both have the will of God, You've got nothing but love. You've got nothing but unity and harmony. Folks, this is the gospel. Live your life worthy of the good news. So Paul points to Jesus Christ, and then what he does is he points to Timothy and Epaphroditus as further examples of godliness. So what I want to do right now, folks, is I want to look at Timothy and Epaphroditus, who who demonstrate to us what it is to be a true servant. So the first thing we recognize about Timothy, uh, Timothy, he exemplifies for us what a true servant is. A true servant, you can write this down, true servant carries out the will of the Father. That's what a true servant does. Every day of my life as a pastor, but also as a father and a husband and as a friend, as I try to do the will of my master. No, I'm not 100% successful at this, but the good news is I'm getting better at it. And hopefully, the same thing can be said of you. You're doing the will of the master. You're not doing your will. You're doing God's will. Now, this notion, this idea that when you become a Christian, God's going to ha- help you ha- see all your dreams come true, as I've said already, is just simply not New Testament theology. This is something made up. Timothy further demonstrates to us that a true servant cares about people like Jesus does. So we read in verse 20, uh, Paul says, I have no one like Timothy, no one who is like-minded like me. So Paul's looking at all the believers around him in Rome, and they're all self-centered people. They've all got their own agenda. They're all doing whatever they want, but not Timothy. Timothy is now concerned about other people. There's, there it is, folks. There's the mark of the true follower of Christ. A true follower of Christ cares about people. Now, folks, this is why we want to bring people to Burundi, because when you come to Burundi and you see people that, that are living in real poverty, the, what they call poverty in Canada is not poverty. Poverty in Canada is great riches in Burundi. You want to see real poverty? Go to a country where people make maybe $200 a year. That's it. When you go and see people in need, people who are broken, people who have nothing, well, it wrecks your life. You're never the same again. That is if you're a real Christian. A real Christian is concerned and cares for other people. And that's what Paul says about Timothy. He says in verse 21, most people seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But Timothy is seeking the interests of Jesus. Now, again, what interests Jesus? There's only one thing not money, not fame, it's people. Jesus came to this earth to die for people, not for things. I remember one of the reasons we took our son out of the Christian school he was going to is because they were teaching the kids that Jesus died on the cross so that we could be rich, totally taking out of context that Scripture. And I see some of you shaking your head because you understand how ridiculous this is. But if this is your theology, well, that happens to be a pretty good verse. Utterly taken out of of context and utterly misinterpreted, but nevertheless, it stands. No, folks, listen, listen. Christ died on the cross not to make us rich financially. Christ died on the cross to make us rich spiritually. So a true servant of Jesus Christ is one who cares about people the way Jesus does. Now, the other thing we recognize about Timothy is that a true servant passes the test. This word, this, this phrase here, proven worth, in Greek, it's, a, it's the word dokamine, which means testedness. The, a good way to, to translate it is exactly like that, proven worth. So, for instance, if you were going to a jeweler because you've got some own jewelry and you want to find out what it's worth, the jeweler is going to test it. He, he wants to know what kind of gold is this? Is this 10 karat gold? Is it 18 karat, 22 karat gold? Or is it just gold plated? Or is it fool's gold? What, what is it? It needs to be tested. Well, Timothy has been tested, and it turns out he's not fool's gold. He's not gold plated, but he's a 22 karat gold. He's solid, worthy, of great worth to God testedness. When I learned this thing I'm going to tell you right now, it it absolutely revolutionized my life. You need to understand, folks, that as long as you're on this planet, as long as you live in this world, you are going to go from test to test to test. And if you fail the test, you will be tested again and again and again and again. And again, I could say this now for hours. You say, Pastor Alan, when does this testing stop? When your heart stops, when you're dead. That's when all the testing comes to an end. Now, if you understand that, that your life is a series of tests, it changes everything. Because now you understand that whatever you say, whatever you do, now becomes something that is tested. Now you are conscious of of the need to pass that test. Nobody wants to stay in grade one forever. Or maybe you do. (laughs) Maybe you like to play games (laughs) for the rest of your life. Some people, are. that's where they are. I I know people, I know many people, (coughs) excuse me, (laughs) who have never grown up. They've been Christians, so called Christians, for 40 years. They're exactly the same today as they were 40 years ago. No change, no growth, no development, no maturity. They're still, still going through the same problems and still failing the same tests over and over. How many know what I'm talking You know what I'm talking about, because some of you are experiencing that right now. You've been failing the same tests over and over again. And now the Holy Spirit is here this morning speaking to you and saying, it's time for you to pass these tests, people. It's time to to move on and grow and mature. Life is a series of tests. And folks, this is why Jesus teaches us the Lord's Prayer. So we pray, first of all, Father, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then we get to the end of the prayer, and Jesus teaches us to pray, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. What's, what does that mean? Most people pray that, they have no clue what they're praying. Amen. For thine is the king, the power, glory, forever and ever, amen. They have no idea what they're praying. Let me just tell you what, what, Jesus is, what Jesus is telling us. He's telling us that life is a series of tests. Lead us through the testing. Testing, temptation means the same thing. Lead us through the time of testing. Help us to pass the test. Father, let your, let, let your shepherd lead us through that time of testing so we pass the test. Protect us from the evil ones. So we rather than listening to Satan, we're listening to God. What happened in the Garden of Eden? They were being tested, people. And rather than listening to God, they listened to Satan. And that's why they ended up in trouble. And that's how sin entered in. And this is how you get into trouble. You didn't realize that life is about tests. Well, Timothy keeps passing the tests. And that is, my friend, what makes him effective in preaching the gospel and sharing the gospel. He's passing the tests. No, this is what a servant does. The servant doesn't wouldn't dream of doing whatever he wants. Can you imagine a servant, a slave saying to his master "Hey, I'm going on vacation for two or three weeks, and i'll send you a postcard. Not going to happen. The servant says, "Master, what would you have me to do?" And then the shepherd or this the the the, uh, the slave does as he's told Paphroditus he tells us a bit more about what it means to be a true servant. Paul calls Epaphroditus, calls my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier. What's he talking about here? Well, he's saying you, can't, you cannot go through this Christian life all alone. You need to do it in fellowship, in koinonia, in, in, a, in true Christian partnership. And I'm just so thankful for those of you who are with us this morning. But let me remind you that this, you need to come back to church. You need to come back into fellowship. Many of us are very tempted just to stay home and listen to sermons online. Folks, we, we do that because that's, that's a last resort, because we can't get together. But I'm going to tell you, hearing the Word of God is, is of the utmost importance, but so is partnership and fellowship of human connection. And some of us have learned that lesson. We've taken it for granted, but man, we need each other. We need to be near each other. We need to be able to say, good to see you today. Good to fellowship with you. That was Epaphroditus, a true servant. He's, he, he, Paul says, look, he's my brother. Same spiritual bloodline, is my true brother. How many of us understand we've got human brothers, human relatives, but when it comes to the family of God, we're talking about, an exalted family that we belong to we need to be together we need to connect and furthermore Paul calls him a fellow worker a fellow servant that's what he is a fellow servant a worker for Christ this is why we teach habit number four in this church that you need to you need to be serving You're willing, you You got to be willing to do as as, as, uh, as Timothy and Paphroditus said whatever you need me to do Paul I'll do it I've never yet had anybody say to me, Pastor Ellen. whatever you need me to do, I'll do it. Never. (laughs) Still none. Now that I've turned 60 and I'm getting a little bit frail, maybe somebody would be willing to say that. More than that, we're fellow soldiers. We're working together for the glory of God. I'm thinking... As as Paul says those words, I'm thinking that Paul's probably thinking of what he said to the Ephesians in Ephesians 6.12. He says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This is why we gather together on Tuesday nights to prayer. We're, We're fellow soldiers, and we know that the greatest work is done in Prayer to conquer the forces of darkness that are holding your family captive, that are holding your friends captive, people who have been blinded by the God of this world. And we need to pray that the God, that the, that the God of this world will be, will be stopped right in his tracks and that God will remove the veil, the veil that has blinded the eyes of those who are perishing. That's why we pray. Pray. And I tell you, we, we, when we started praying for Burundi, we started to see miracles happen. Uh, like, like we, it just is staggering. The churches that we, we've been praying that we could establish have now been established, and there's more to come. And the same thing happens here in this church. But this is what servants do. Servants show up, turn up to do the job, to serve, to be fellow soldiers, to do whatever it takes to get the job done. A true servant gives his life for God. Paul says that Epaphroditus was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him. In verse 34, he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking. Wow, how differently we treat pastors today. This man is worthy of honor. We're living in a day and an age when we've got what we call celebrity pastors. Can you believe that? A celebrity pastor. It just, these two words shouldn't go together. It's oxymoronic, it just doesn't go together. And that's what we have. Some of you may have heard of of what's been happening with the Hillsong Church out of Australia. At their peak, they had 150,000 people gathering around the world in different locations. One after another, one pastor after another has fallen. And I I say that with great sorrow indeed, including the head head guy. Now, if you you look at their culture, folks, this is the the early indicator. This is the red flag that this thing isn't gonna fall fall apart, that the wheels are gonna come off. I first heard this guy 15 years ago, and I came home from that conference I was on. I told my wife all about it. And I told her, this, this is a disaster. It's coming. And folks, I'm therefore a true prophet, because I saw it. I saw for what it was. Now, of course, if it wasn't true, then you'd have to take me out back and stone me to death, because <laughs> that's what you do with false prophets. But the wheels came off. Now, what was the early indicator that this thing was was not of God? Well, for one thing, um." These pastors are celebrities posting pictures of themselves on Instagram with, with no shirt off, showing off their pecs. You wouldn't want me to do that this morning or any time. <laughs> showing off their physique. I mean, we're seeing that in so many... When you see that, you know there's something very, very wrong spiritually. In fact, I said to Gloria after I came home, I said, that pastor and his wife, there's some, they're over-sexualized. There's something very wrong about these people. But more than that, these pastors, they have a roped-off area, so when they come into the service, nobody can get near them because they're too holy or, or too famous or too important. And people want to talk to their pastor. They can't talk to him because he's too important and, and, and wealth. that's a sign that they're successful. They should have whatever they want. One pastor's got, watch this, he's got a parsonage. You know what a parsonage is? It's a pastor's house, 35,000 square feet. That's twice the size of this whole building, and then a bit. If anybody wants to buy me a parsonage like that, I'll invite you over for dinner. (laughs) It's utterly absurd. You look at that, and you recognize there's something wrong with this. No, folks, listen, the congregation is here not to serve me, not to make me, put me on a pedestal, and not to worship me or to, or, or to even uh, look to me as somebody to emulate. What I want you to do is I want you to emulate Jesus. Or as Paul said to the Corinthians, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Well, these, these so-called celebrity pastors, they're not imitating Christ. Jesus said, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Anybody who came to Jesus? Jesus had come. The disciples even tried to stop him. Do you remember that? The little mothers want Jesus, wanted the Jesus to bless their kids. They like, no, no, he's too important. Don't you know he's important? He's a celebrity. He's a guy, he's, this is just important things. And Jesus said, no, 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 you idiots. I didn't say it quite like that. Let the little children come to me. For such is the kingdom of God. You see the servant heart of the master. This is who we are, people. We are servants, here to serve one another, here to serve our children, here to serve our husband, serve our wife, serve our neighbors. And it's not not a chore, it's a delight. It's an absolute thrill. I get to serve, I get to serve my children. But you know, Timothy's proven worth. How's a son with, with a father. He has served with me in the gospel. I can't think of a better, a better thing to put on a gravestone. Forget the fudge recipe. It's ridiculous. This is what we're talking about. You can still make fudge if you want, by the way. Fudge is not evil. Well, it is for some. For Epaphroditus, receive him in the Lord with all joy. Honor such men. Why? Because he nearly died for the work of Christ. Hey, you know what? There's people that I've really loved and respected over the years, and there's people whom I wish would have said such kind things about me that never have. There's other people who I love and respect that have spoken kindly to me and encouraged me, and I'm very grateful for that. But at the end of the day, what really matters most is what does Jesus say about you? Remember the the three servants? One was given five talents, another one given three, another given one. Two of them doubled what they were given. The other guy, I'm not serving. I'm not doing anything. I don't like this guy. I don't like my boss. I don't like my master. I'm gonna bury it. When he comes back, I'll give it back and we'll be square. Someday, folks, we're gonna be standing before the Bema seat of Christ. We'll give an account for how we live their lives. And the thing he's gonna ask you is not how famous did you get, or how rich did you get, or how much money did you give. He's gonna ask you about your service record. Did you serve? Did you serve? And if you did, this is what he's gonna say, and this is what I want Jesus to say to me, about me. He's gonna say, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Jesus is not calling Alan Dankaff to be Billy Graham. That's not gonna happen. But I've been given a little and I've been called to be faithful over a little. And for that, I will be judged. I'll be judged exactly the same as Billy Graham will be judged for a lot. And you will be judged in the same way when you stand before Christ. Now, the good news, folks, is that if you're converted and born again, when you stand before the great white throne, your name will be written in the Lamb's book of life. But there's another throne, the throne of Jesus, where we will give an account for how we lived our lives. And the question is this, will you have been found faithful in your service? Would you stand with me, please? Father, thank you today. Thank you for Jesus Christ, our Master and our Lord. And Father, some may feel it a a burden to follow Jesus. But Father, I have discovered that the greatest joy in my life has been whenever I've been faithful in obeying and following the Master. And the Master set the example for me and for everybody in this room today. He came to serve. Lord, someday we know we're gonna stand before you and you're going to ask us about our service. Some here maybe have been serving for years and growing weary. Father, this morning, would you encourage that weary servant and remind that weary servant that you are pleased and that they should carry on doing the work of the kingdom. Father, we pray for those who have not signed up to serve yet. God, that by your spirit, they would recognize There's a great amount of work to be done. And as Jesus has said, God, we're praying that the Lord of the harvest will send forth workers, laborers, servants who will get the job done. There's people that have not yet heard the good news of Jesus Christ. So Father, give us the grace today, we pray, to be servants like Jesus, servants like Paul, servants like Timothy and Epaphroditus. We thank you today, Lord God, for your Holy Spirit, who works in us and who enables us to be good servants. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me. Amen. Tell the person beside you go be a servant. <clears throat>